Welcome to this week's Silk Grassroots Podcast, Match Fix, brought to you by the Down to Play app. Grassroots football is finally back and we're buzzing. Get Down to Play today, the UK's leading app for next game availability. Download Down to Play from the App Store and Google Play. Welcome to Match Fix, a brand new Selk production podcast bringing you everything you want to know about the women's grassroots game. Episode six of Match Fix is here and it is once again an absolutely quality chat. Some real truth talking with this guest, in fact. Probably not the case if you're here listening to this podcast, but if you didn't already think grassroots is where it's at, the dramas of the frankly grandiose European Super League should have sealed the deal. I was never in favour of the concept myself, but the fact that women's football was quite clearly an afterthought in the whole ludicrous process just made me double mad about it, to be honest. In other news, a little break for those non-league teams thrust into FA Cup action just days after the recommencement of football at the end of March. But shout out to Huddersfield Town, Blackburn Rovers and Southampton for all making it through to the fifth round proper. Congratulations. The FA currently have the lines open for nominating some grassroots heroes. So now is the chance to have a big say of thank you to someone who is having a positive impact on you or someone you know at your club. Also, and no, this isn't an ad. I'm not getting paid for this. I've seen a few grant opportunities knocking about on the Twitter timeline. One from Football Foundation, I do believe. So if you're looking for some extra club investment, it's worth having a look. And finally, if anyone is interested in my own escapades, our Wildcats launch was insanely successful. We had 20 girls absolutely beaming with a ball at their feet and loads of them came back for a second week. And we even had some new additions as well. It really is so, so exciting getting to know all of their little characters and the fact that we get to do it whilst also playing football just makes it even better. Enough from me. Keep listening for part two. Keep it simple. Get down to play today. The UK's leading app for next game availability. Download Down to Play from the App Store and Google Play. Uh, welcome to part two of episode six of Match Fix. And joining me today is Lou Barry, the joint manager at Northampton Town Women. Hello, Lou. Welcome. Hello. How are we doing? I'm very well, thank you. I'm very well. Um, as we were just chatting beforehand, it's kind of a crazy weather right now. But yeah, other than that, yeah, I'm not too bad. How, how about yourself? How's things? Yeah, they're very good. Enjoying the um, start to return of normal life, especially football. So it's been a long three or four months of being quiet for once in my life. So enjoying, <laughs> enjoying a bit of uh, normality returning. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of been a bit crazy, hasn't it? Kind of four months of of nothing. And then we're finally back to some sort of normality, which is exciting. Absolutely. Um, So what what did you kind of get up to in lockdown? Kind of what kept what kept you sane, I suppose? Kind of how did you deal with things? What kept you busy? It's a very good question. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm thankful that I I managed to work for it. When I say work, it's working from home. So. I was stuck in stuck in my flat for the whole time, but at least I had some sort of focus through that, which was nice. Um, I started to run, which was horrific. <laughs> um, 
that was purely for my own sanity to get out of the house and then do that. And that got me through to a certain extent. We're thankful, obviously, with my with the with the women's team that we kind of kept going as much as we could. We we you know we spent two two evenings with each other. Um, with doing a lot of other ton of fitness challenges, which I'm sure every other club was doing, so that kept us focused. Myself and Josh took part in those fitness type things as well, so that kept us focused. And to be honest with you, as soon as we got a date for football returning and normal life returning, I think it gave us that focus. Of, you know what it is? It's not going to last forever. Yeah. So whereas in that first lockdown, it kind of felt like this was going to last forever. So mm-hmm. it's slightly easier this time, I'd say. Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree. I think kind of, yeah, as you say, it's very similar for a lot of teams. I kind of turned into a bit of a Strava challenge fiend for my team. I think they're probably, they're thankful to go back to training because it wasn't me going as everyone updated their Strava. (laughs) So yeah, no. Exact same. same. We had a little Strava group going. Um, I'm sure 90% of them have deleted Strava now. (laughs) Traumatised by the app. (laughs) Absolutely. Cool. So, yeah, sounds like you kind of had a fairly successful lockdown, as successful as it can be, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, as you say, the return to football is kind of much appreciated. Um, so, but let's kind of go back. Let's talk about you. Um, how did you get involved in football? Have you played yourself? Did you play as a kid? Mm-hmm. Kind of, yeah, tell, tell me a bit more about yourself. Yeah, I mean, I'm like probably every boy. Football's just been my life since I can remember. Um, that much that you know your family and your friends will just take the mic that football is just your life and it <laughs> is and you know um, yeah I've, I've, I've always played football since I was younger it's all I've kind of ever wanted to do actually in your spare time with your friends outside that's it's football if it's watching football if it's creating your own games of football whatever it is it's always been football for me I don't know why um, it just has I've never played to a good level um, at all which I think helps me to an extent mm. in a lot of stuff Um I've played and loved it through the enjoyment of it, not necessarily to to go and become a professional footballer or anything. Mm-hmm. So yeah, always played football and, until I was eighteen. I then went to university um, and actually stopped playing football for at least two two or three years while I was there, and took up the sport of futsal when I was there. So that's how I got into into playing that when I was there. Um, and again, like. I think like most people when I was at university, I had no idea what I wanted to do, even though I was still there. I was doing sports science. I didn't really like it. It was a bit too sciencey for me. <laughs> didn't really know what I wanted to do. Kind of had an idea of being a PE teacher, potentially going into something like that. But again, it was just an idea. I was, but like most people, just loving university life. Yeah. And then left university um, and kind of went, right, what what next? I'm not really sure what ne- is next. And really tried hard for two to three months to find something in the sporting industry which was so difficult because mm-hmm. even though you leave with a degree you've not got much experience I still had never coached at that point really the only coaching experience I had was at uni within our futsal team it was just we coached ourselves and I kind of took over within my role there of kind of vice president of performance within doing that I then saw a role advertised at Northampton Town which was basically working in their community trust as a sessional coach yeah which started out on four hours a week, um, probably spent more money in getting to the sessions than I did from earning it, but <laughs> probably then started to actually realise that I really liked coaching. And I'd never thought about it. it was, I was thinking about it earlier. I'd never thought about coaching in my life. It was always doing something different, maybe in, in terms of refereeing or playing or performance analysis. And, but I never thought of coaching. I'm not sure why. And then I started to do it within schools. Within there, I worked my way up from four hours eventually into full-time at Northampton. Within there, I took over their, their under-11s at the time, their girls' team. It was the first time I've ever been involved 
in uh, girls and women's football. Mm-hmm. And ever since that time, absolutely loved it. I, I couldn't ever imagine now changing from women and girls to, to men's football. I've just loved it ever since then. I'm still with them under 11, so that was only four and a half years ago, potentially now, so they're under 15s. And then two years ago, um, took over as uh, alongside Josh as the joint manager of the women's team. So it's nearly been 18 months now. And as you can imagine, in 18 months, we've played about two league games, but <laughs> it's been extremely good. And yeah, it's been a bit of a whirlwind for myself, as I said, because I left university at, at 22 and I'm now 26. And that four-year period has gone from zero to, to 100, it feels like. But uh, it's been an absolutely brilliant time. So that's kind of how I've ended up here, yeah. Nice, love that. Um, let's go back slightly to futsal because, so my yeah. football team, we play futsal on a Wednesday night and we just do that kind of, because it's a bit of extra training for us. Like, it's, yeah, it's just, it's obviously good for fitness. It's kind of good kind of for technical skills and stuff like that. It just kind of obviously aids our football game even more and mm-hmm. vice versa. Our football game aids our kind of futsal thing. Um, let's talk about that a little bit just because yeah. I feel like futsal often goes under the radar a lot and it really shouldn't because it's such a great sport and it's so fun and people think oh yeah it's just like five-a-side football don't they so like let's do a little bit of myth busting I guess here at this point yeah at, do you what, know what? yeah I, I can understand that because when I went to university I'd never heard of it before and then mm. my mates went and played it and I was like right I'll, I'll come down football football inside that's something absolutely fantastic <laughs> and then I started playing it and to be honest with you I prefer it as a sport to football in terms of playing. It's it's absolutely unbelievable. So we played there for three or four years at university, um, played to a good level at university and just just loved it. It was just full of people that, like-minded people that just loved playing football and loved getting on the ball. And I'm a centre-back at football and I'm not a very good one. <laughs> but when I play futsal, I play as a pivot, which is the other end of the pitch. So I went from someone who barely touched the ball in football, as you can imagine, getting knocked over your head constantly and going long, to actually getting hundreds and hundreds of touches within a game, playing within tight areas, and actually just found it like wow, I found like a new love for for sport. It was it was brilliant, and I've improved more in the four or five years that I play futsal than I did in sixteen years of, of playing football, mm. um, and probably a, a bit of a regret as such that I'd never got to play it when I was younger I never heard of it when I was younger and I now see kids that have played futsal and now play football and the difference they do it is crazy you know you've now got Max Kilman obviously in the Premier League who's played for England there's, there's Zach Brunt who, who plays for Sheffield United again he's, he's played for England and now you're starting to see futsal players making it in football and for me it shows the complete benefits of of it and we still have girls now that have played futsal and you can just tell the difference yeah absolutely. so comfortable on the ball don't mind playing in tight areas happy to play with the ball happy to lose it and win it back play with fantastic intensity um it was a a, a massive disappointment obviously when we saw the fa take their funding away for futsal yeah. and it's just it's so disappointing it's, it's such a great sport it's not really known still or heard of um but the amount of people that come and play it and they're like, wow, this is brilliant. Mm. Um, so it's difficult because football's so big in this country. Um, it's, it's difficult to challenge that really, but it is brilliant. I, I, I advise it to absolutely anyone to go and play it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like preaching to the choir here, but definitely kind of, mm-hmm. yeah, I think you will definitely sort of see, that's another thing I think alongside kind of girls and women's football that's starting to see that massive growth kind of at youth level. That's another thing that you're going to see kind of start to kind of build and kind of grow and hopefully you'll start to see kind of little futsal clubs for kids pop up here mm-hmm. and there because, yeah, like you say, there's just so many benefits to it and it's, it's just really fun as well, I think, as well. Yes. 
<laughs> which yes. is like yeah massively important I think as well and I think as well for me personally as well it's really helped my game because I I mean I've said this about a million times on this podcast but I only started playing football two years ago okay. um and I was genuinely rubbish in my like my first team <laughs> and now in my this team now it's like it's different because we've got a different coach and stuff like that but but yeah. futsal has definitely been like massively benefited my game because like you say you get so many more touches like there's so like getting in those tight spaces and stuff like that yeah it's only a benefit to like people's games so I definitely think if people have a local futsal club nearby go and get involved because it's so fun yeah cool I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree anymore yeah absolutely so let's kind of move on to a kind of you mentioned about how you kind of joined Northampton you started off with their under 11 so kind of tell me a little bit more about that possibly yeah so for me and I'm happy to admit it when I took over the under 11 for me it's just a bit of extra money at the time <laughs> <laughs> and it was like yeah I'll do that I'd never managed a, a youth side before I took over I was very naive I thought it'd be very easy in the sense of managing the group, um, I, I saw, I soon kind of found out so much about myself in mm-hmm. terms of how to manage people, what people need from me, uh, and being a role model specifically is so much different, you know, to going into schools and doing the obsession here to to doing these young girls absolutely look up to you, no matter they don't care what coaching badges you have, they don't mm-hmm. care what your backgrounds been, they don't care where you've been before, you know, you're their coach wearing their kit and telling them what to do and they'll listen to you and they'll love it. So I think I found that as an absolute, a bit of an inspiration really and I, I loved it. And then I'm really competitive on top of that <laughs> and I love football. So to put my ideas of football and put that into a competitive environment, for me, it just found out something I absolutely love to do. And it's, I mean, again, blowing smoke up my behind is what they say. Is I found out, oh, hopefully, I think I'm quite good at it and I found Almost it took me 21 years, 22 years to find something that I'm actually quite good at and enjoy. And that's what I finally did in that situation. And um, I've loved it ever since. Absolutely loved it ever since. Nice, love that. So is, was that your first kind of coaching role? Like you hadn't coached like in men's or, or boys beforehand? No, that was my first coaching role. So it's it's quite a quite a good one for your first one. And, I, and I'm very, very thankful and lucky to be chucked into that situation straight away. Um so I almost got like a bit of a leg up from the start in terms of the position I started in. So, yeah, that's my first ever one. Nice, I love that. That's quite unique as well because I feel like often people who end up kind of in kind of women's coaching roles, they've kind of they've played football themselves and they've kind of been in men's football and stuff like that, and they've kind of got a little bit fed up and then thought, oh, I'll, I'll have a go at this opportunity. But no, you've kind of dived in straight at the deep end, gone for the under 11s, and yeah, it's kind of worked out successfully. Did you say as well that they're like under 15s now as well? They are. They're under 15s, so they're all teenagers and um yeah it's changed as we've gone through the years we're all turning 16 now so it's um makes me feel old even though i'm not <laughs> i do you know what i completely relate to that so i used to work in a school i worked there for four years and i started off in like so i think it was my second year i was kind of thrown in at the deep end with uh, a, a b-tech sports kind of group so it was like all the lads of the year group <laughs> and now they're like sort of I don't know, they must be like, some of them be 10, like 19, 20 now. And when I yeah. see them, I'm like, oh God, I feel so old. So yeah, no, I completely relate to that. But it must be so amazing for you to kind of see that progression from them. Oh, brilliant. Do you know what? Just As footballers, they've come on a long way and there's been mistakes along the way, as you can imagine. There's players in that group that I think should have gone on to do much more than they have. And it's almost maybe a regret you have of going, we could have done more. But there is players that have gone on to do more in that group and have left us and moved on. I think most importantly is... Just the, the journey we've been on as, as a group and especially them as young people through four or five years of their really important times in their life. So when I took over, they'd have just been 
potentially moving into secondary school, I think they were. Mm. Um, and now, obviously, we're near enough to come through their whole secondary school journey, seeing them change from young girls to turning 12 and 13, and they're starting to bring phones to training sessions now, <laughs> and then getting into 16s, and then they're talking about boyfriends and stuff like that. <laughs> training is it's been a whirlwind, but to be honest with you, the most impressive thing is we've kept the same group for that whole time mm. until the first lockdown which is when we lost one or two decided not to play anymore yeah we kept that same group and that's been the most biggest achievement because it's almost has been a, a group and a family together that whole time yeah absolutely i think as well like we're sort of on that kind of knife edge at this point aren't we where you're actually going to start to see where girls have started off at that kind mm. of age group and probably even younger as well and they will start to kind of be able to make that progression and like you say like you potentially see some of them kind of go off and actually kind of make a career of it yeah. whereas if you'd think maybe like well even five years ago but definitely 10 years ago that just wasn't a thing wouldn't have been a thing it would have been people who have kind of they've had to force their way into a boys team sort of thing and then they've somehow someone's seen them sort of thing but yeah no it's absolutely you're kind of starting to see that kind of tip the balance where actually they're starting that young and they're kind of making their, that pathway is really genuinely starting to be there and kind of built for them yeah yeah no exactly that and i mean we're fortunate enough I and mean, one of the things i mean josh said when we took over as a women's team is to give girls from the club a pathway it's never happened before we don't think i think before we took over there might have been a couple that had made it through to the first team um in our friendly yesterday we, we gave a young girl called beth her debut at 16 and beth someone that's been at the club and i'm gonna make a comment here and say potentially since she's eight or nine i've coached her when she was 12 i think i first coached her to see those kind of people now coming through into the first team is is so good and i think since we've been here 18 months Again, it's been so interrupted. I think we've managed to give eight or nine through the system now debut. And for us, that's so pleasing because we've seen them from such a young age. Mm. Yeah, so let's kind of talk about that. That's one thing I did notice, actually, when I was doing a little bit of research, is the fact that... Um like most of your t most of your team are made up of either t like players who have come through the pathway which is just like incredible to see or kind of they've played for the team they've gone and done something else for a little bit they've maybe gone to uni and then they've come back again so yeah let's kind of let's let's talk about that sort of thing i love i love that philosophy it's amazing and like um yeah. my team's kind of done it recently as well so this year we partnered with a local club as well so we've now got that pathway and we've got like under 10s under 12s under 15s under 18s and then there's us the senior team so yeah just setting up that pathway is incredible and again that's another thing i think you'll start to see is that as we'll start to kind of trickle in is that more and more teams kind of are developing that pathway so it's not just you go and kind of play for a random kind of under 10s team and maybe you go and play for another team and then it always feels like I think kind of between potentially at like the ages of like 15 and 18 that sort of like fear of like, actually there's not a pathway so I'll just stop playing and then they kind of don't have an adult team to get into but it seems like more and more teams are kind of developing that so yeah that pathway is really starting to crop up for a lot of places so yeah let's talk about the women's team then. Yeah, but the pathways is one of the most important things that we can do. As I said, we having coached the younger girls, we was in their PDC, myself and Josh as well, so they play a development centre and coached a variety of age groups over the years in there. And when you're coaching them, you're coaching them to get to the first team, effectively, eventually, or not here, maybe somewhere else, or yeah. RTCs, etc. elsewhere. So we have to make them believe that that's possible in the PDC. You know, this is what you are aiming to do. It would then be completely utterly wrong of us if we got the first team manager and then give him a chance. You know, it'd just be, it'd just be, as I said, wrong. It's just completely utterly wrong. And yeah. we just like to see that progression because we've got an affection for these girls because we've coached them before. They've worked really hard with us and you can see their determination. 
I do feel sorry for younger players, especially in girls' football, because it's getting better now, and especially with the TV deal that's coming in. But I, I sometimes sit there and go, what are they aspiring to? Because yeah. there's one massive league in the Super League. The championship is obviously getting bigger, but what can they aspire to? You know, it's not like it's a full-time industry for a lot of people. Yeah, so, absolutely. And especially with RTCs being so select in how many of them there are, you know, you almost feel like as a young girl, you want to become a professional footballer, but I don't think that route is very clear for them to actually go, yeah, this is how I do it. So for us to make them and give them an opportunity to get to the first team, but also within that, although they're not professional, make them feel as professional as they can, make them feel like it's a wonderful achievement, mm. you know, because it makes them feel like, especially for those girls that have been here for a number of years, that they've achieved what they set out for when they started out you know, at eight, nine years of age, or made it to the first team, which is brilliant. Now, we can't obviously offer them professional contracts and <laughs> 95% of clubs, women's clubs in England can't. But what we can do is make them at least believe that their their work and their efforts have come to something and they can still improve. And again, women's football is getting so big now and even bigger that hopefully even the ones that are coming through now will have even bigger aspirations that actually, yes, I can become a professional footballer. And that's so, so important. Yeah, no, that's that's so true. I love that kind of idea. Yeah, it's interesting how kind of... Well, you even just have to... You mentioned the championship there. So only half of half of the championship are professional, aren't they? So, yeah, yeah, there's obviously still a long way to go in terms of professionalism. But equally, so actually, I kind of talked about it briefly in the previous episode with Lizzie and Tree and how kind of... <clears throat> do we want a professional game in the women's kind of thing? Because I, I think one of the things we talked about is kind of it's such a the women's with the women's game is so sort of accessible i think was the word we Mm -hmm. kind of used so obviously you can kind of turn up on a match day especially where the stadiums are smaller so um i don't know if you look at boreham wood for example so you can go and watch arsenal and think how successful arsenal are and then you can also have a chat with beth mead afterwards yes and you can get a get an autograph from vivian meadamar afterwards Mm -hmm. so yeah it's just kind of do we want that kind of level of professionalism in those games where actually that then becomes kind of void and non-existent because obviously can you imagine like trying to get i don't know harry kane's autograph yeah just yeah what do you think on that it's it's a really it's it's a really difficult question because it comes down to what professional looks like if it's just in the terms of look you're here training three or four times a week this is your job it might not get paid millions and i don't think women would be too fussed about the pay again i can't actually say that's true but for me and from what I know from my players it would just be having the opportunity to do what they love every day of the week make that their full-time job and play Um, you know because balancing life and families and football and again we train two times a week for for three hours but that's not all we do it's so much more on top of that than those three hours it's a lot of commitment sometimes I wonder how they how they manage to do this so I think it would just be having the opportunity just to be doing what they love and obviously that doesn't come for free and it has to come from somewhere but I think women's football has always been more accessible because there's not many egos within women's football which is why I like doing it which I like working in the game there's always going to be an element of the bigger it gets the bigger support it gets then you know it will become more difficult to to access those type of things that you mentioned yeah. I'm sure in the in the grand scheme of things when we when we go forward we want the Arsenal women's team playing in front of 60,000 at the Emirates as well. And if that happens, it's obviously more difficult. But it's how we can keep making it accessible, you know. Um, 
through through different avenues in terms of open training sessions or making sure that we get we get those young girls inspired and I think we do a great work with that at the moment again look, we're very far away from the levels of men's football but there are teams out there that are ready to be professional we're not one but there are teams out there towards the top end of that pyramid that are ready and that could simply just be as I said training four or five teams a week they get enough money that compares to their current full-time job and they get to improve everything. You know, if they're training four or five teams a week, the quality of women's football is going to improve because the players are going to improve. It's very difficult to ask players to improve at the level we want at the moment with three hours of training and one game day at the weekend. And it always gets compared to, you know, it's not as good as men's football. You know, at men's football, especially professional football, is what they're trying to compare it to. Training five times a week. Not only that, they've probably got more than just uh, the coach or two coaches. They've got every little bit of support in terms of their physical attributes, in terms of their psychological attributes, in terms of their nutrition, in terms of their sleep, in terms of everything is planned out for them. Of course, they're going to be better footballers. So, of course, we want it to be professional. It's going to be a slow process to get there. But we've got to remember what makes women's football so great and that is that accessibility along the way. Yeah, no, absolutely spot on there. Like I could not agree more. It's funny how people just want to compare that kind of 90 minutes that they see or even just that five-second clip and they're like, oh, yeah, well, women's football's rubbish, essentially, from seeing, like, 10 seconds from a BT Sport kind of, like, clip yeah. and they just think, oh, yeah, women's football's rubbish. Like, it's just, yeah, it's bizarre kind of how people kind of think about that. And, yeah, like you say, it's like there's kind of... they've got They've got a coach for every single thing and they spend hours and hours on end doing things so yeah yeah that's such an interesting point um just on that point as well i think what doesn't help if you always see the the jokes about women football on twitter it's always a mistake or a bad goalkeeping error or a bad finish it's always the bad things like oh like a rubbish women's football is those things happen in men's football as well you know but people don't go like a bad men's football is so you know, when there's a good team goal that's scored or a great goal, no one's interested, no one's bothered. You know, always yeah. go out, it's good, isn't it? You know, it's not so. It's it's nitpicking negative things that happen in every single sport. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of, you have to think as well. Those mistakes and those kind of issues that happen in men's games probably happen even more often than they do in women's games, just because yeah. there is so much more men's football yeah. available that actually they're probably happening happening more often. And it doesn't yeah. matter if you're kind of like Sunday League or if you're in the Premier League. Like it's going to happen for sure. Um, yeah, so that's interesting. I think as well on on that kind of point on the flip side as well is that, like you say, there's so much more positive that happens in the women's game, but because of kind of the funding and stuff like that, you don't see it because there's it's no. not being broadcast. So actually, no. those massive kind of interesting and great moments don't happen because actually, you need the funding for it to be broadcast and things like that, and to be able to kind of be able to see it. And yeah, so it's it's kind of crazy, really. So yeah, it's an interesting point. Mm. Um, yeah, so kind of let's kind of talk a bit more specifically about kind of Northampton then. So you guys play in the East Midlands Wins Football League, yeah? Correct, yes. In the Premier Division? Correct, yes. Cool, love that. <laughs> that was, did you get promoted to that in 2019, was it? It would have been the 2018-2019 season, yeah. Nice, cool. Yeah, just tell me, kind of, tell me a little bit about the journey. Obviously, you joined in 2019, didn't you? Yeah, so we joined after they got promoted, interestingly. So it's um, an interesting time to join a new club and they've just been promoted and been really successful. Um, and I'm sure it's normally the other way where maybe they've not had a successful season or they're struggling a little bit and the managers come in. So, yeah, really interesting time to come in and obviously our first adult role as well. 
myself and Josh. It was an interesting time, but we were very confident in what we could do and what we wanted to do. But also what was currently at the club in terms of playing, playing facilities, in terms of the whole round accessibility the club get, the players get. It was very much, they play on a Sunday, they train two times a week. They play in that time, no disrespect to the clubs in that division, a not very good division. Mm. So when we took over, although they just won that division and the players disagreed with us at the time, we thought there was so much more to come and naturally it was a success to get promoted. Of course it was. But there was so much more they needed to do because the quality was going to get that division, was the Premier Division was going to get so much better. Yeah. So we came in with a group who thought they were very good but actually weren't as good as they thought they were mm. because of the quality they were playing against. Um we came in what we personally think was a squad that needed improving. It needed professionalising. And when I say that, I mean it's more than just coming to football and having a kick about on a Tuesday and a Thursday. Yeah. If you want to succeed, you need to get in the right mindset of succeeding and how. And that isn't just coming to training. It is when you're at training and we constantly get told by the players and again, that this is the best and most intense and intelligent training they've ever had and that's what we want because that's what we can offer them. But then also we've brought in a lot more around that. So we've brought in physical performance coaches to make sure they can perform at their highest level. We does a lot around nutrition again. We've brought in a psychologist again to make sure that their, their needs are prepared for. Um, small things in like goalkeeper coaching, communication levels with each other, making sure everything feels more professional for them. I said a professional we can make it without being professional. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we took over and it was a difficult period to start with. We ended up, our first two games were against the teams that finished second and third the year before. Uh, and we lost both. And one of them was at Sixfields, the main stadium as well. So mm. it was a very difficult start. And almost that's when you kind of get questions at yourselves. And it goes, right, OK. We then went on a long period without a game due to weather. And then won a couple of games. And then again, the weather got in the way. And I think it was so disrupted that first four or five months of the season we barely played um, and it was a lot of getting the players but it was, a, it was a valuable period because it was a good opportunity to get the players up to speed of what we wanted um, we didn't have games necessarily to, to trust it and try it against but a really good valuable period we then had three games before lockdown one um, kind of in quick succession which didn't really happen at any point and kind of won all three by really good score lines mm. and felt like we were really now starting to motor we just made two or three really good signings got him involved in those games and we kind of thought myself and Josh this is it right now we're gonna we're gonna kick on we because of the start to the season we wouldn't have been able to get promoted but we wanted to finish strongly and we were really positive and then lockdown happened <laughs> it couldn't come at a worse time for us but again, it just, through whatever a long lockdown one was, without training, made us stronger as a group, brought us together, got us fitter, quite frankly. Um, and it gave us a lot of opportunities, although we didn't like them. The Zoom-type webinars, workshops that we'd done, they were a pit, you know, death by PowerPoint. And we tried <laughs> to, we got better as we went through. But it gave us a, a fantastic opportunity to, to get the players to learn, which they haven't always had an opportunity to do in their, in their lives. Um, and then again, got back to, to starting football to start this current season in a in a really strong place. Our squad was not quite complete as we wanted it to, and the best we could have got to at that time. 
really positive. Had a pre-season where we won every single game, not conceding goals. Went into the start of the season, won our opening game of the season, very confident. A bit of a break because of COVID. Again, went back two more games, won both of those comfortably. And we sat there and went, we'll finish in the top two this season without a shadow of a doubt. We'd have finished in the top two, really good place. And then COVID hit again. <laughs> um, so it's been such an odd time. We've, I think over that period, maybe played 11 games, league games in two years, two seasons. Quite a lot of friendlies, a lot of training sessions. But we've come on so far in that period of time. It's ridiculous when you think about it. we haven't actually finished a season or even played a season. Or I can't, I can't. I don't think we've even played four games in a row without a stoppage sort of thing. So the players deserve immense credit to, to still be here through this period and still work hard. But as you mentioned earlier, around the, the Strava running, it's <laughs> difficult. And a lot of the times you could tell they were kind of like, what is going on? But... They, they see where we want to go and the end project and the end goal and they know it's it's going to come. It's just, sounds so stupid, it's just actually playing football that's stopping us at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting actually, isn't it? Like you kind of, you've kind of sort of had like the best year and the worst year because like you say, you've kind of, for, for players in terms of like bonding and stuff like that through kind of all the zooms and stuff like that it sounds like it's been really positive for you and it's given you a chance to kind of um like build on that kind of team building and also kind of introduce these things that you maybe wouldn't have had the chance to before so like you say kind of death by powerpoint but i'm mm-hmm. sure you probably like yeah like that and you mentioned as well you brought in a psychologist as well i think that is such a kind of I think this is like applicable across all of football, really. But the kind of like the psychological kind of part of football and kind of the kind of psychology and the mental health behind it, I think it's such a neglected area. And that's another thing that I think you will see grow. And I think especially mm-hmm. in the women's game as well, because because kind of generally speaking, kind of women tend to be a little bit more kind of open with kind of talking about when things aren't going right for them, aren't they? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I think... I did, in fact, it was our own podcast as well that we kind of hosted a, a women's football podcast and we talked, like, Selk is a big kind of advocate of mental mm-hmm. health and things like that. So it's it's really important that you brought it up, in fact, actually. And I mentioned as well how <clears throat> during that podcast, so Emma Mitchell, she plays for Reading. I'm a Reading yep. supporter. Okay. Um, <laughs> and she mentioned how they only introduced a psychologist at Reading this season. Like, Reading are a professional outfit. Like, they're mm-hmm. a professional club, but they've only introduced a psychologist this season. And even then, I don't think across the whole WSL that there is a, a club psychologist in, like, every every team, which just kind of seems, like, baffling, really, doesn't it? That there isn't that focus as much on the physical kind of attributes of football and the physical side of attributes that there is on the psychological because you I mean I guess we could make a reference to kind of psychology here in the men's game so you mm-hmm. just have to look at Jesse Lingard at West Ham at the moment yep. so moving like he was obviously just having a real kind of rubbish time I guess is the kind of simplest way you can think about it at United and then now look at him he is so on form and that has to so much do be like to do with kind of his own psychology and like how he is feeling kind of mentally but you equally you can see it in the women's game kind of when people have kind of kind of tough times in their lives and stuff like that you kind of I guess you could maybe apply that to Jen Beatty for example and her kind of um, breast cancer mm-hmm. diagnosis like the kind of mental kind of impact that has on you um yeah it's just interesting that you mentioned that you decided to bring in a psychologist I love that yeah, that, that news of, of Reading surprises me to be honest it really does um in terms of only bringing one in this year look I think 
confidence and the psychological side impacts everyone, and that's including myself and Josh. We struggle sometimes to to cope with defeats, to cope with decisions, to cope with you know everything. Um, and players are the exact same. I think the reason it doesn't happen sometimes is as a coach and coaches, they believe they can do everything. They're taught by the FA that the psychological element of football is a corner and all you've got to do is put it into your session and it's sorted. Yeah. You know, that's not life. You know, I think although we're coaching footballers, we're dealing with people. We're yeah. dealing with, with people with different experiences in life and lockdown's taught us that more than anything. You know, we haven't really... At certain points, you forget you're a football club. And you think you're just like a support group for each other. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's it's yeah, it's so important. And being men, we we struggle to understand and I guess relate to women sometimes as well as managers. And we understand that. And we're fine with that. Um, for me, as a coach of coaching women, they doubt themselves so much in everything. Um, a good performance in their head probably lasts for a week. A bad performance can last for a month. And that, for us, is so difficult. Again, we went, sometimes our sessions aren't based around too in-depth of tactical. It's all about giving them opportunities to play and enjoy it and be confident like you would a child because they need to to enjoy what they're doing. It's, it's very, yeah, again, Jane, who's got a PhD in, in psychology, come in and has just honestly been fantastic to help them because they, they said they doubt themselves so much. It's kind of like the imposter syndrome when they don't believe they they should be here in terms of, oh, I'm not good enough or, oh, you know, there's better players than me here. And it's so strange because we value them as players and we absolutely love them as players and we wouldn't have them here if, if we weren't, they weren't good enough, but they doubt themselves. Confidence is huge. It's the biggest factor in football for me as a coach, as a referee, as a, as a, as a player. If you're not confident, football's difficult. And you can get confidence through scoring a goal, doing a good pass, but it didn't last very long. You know, confidence has to come from within yourself. You have to be really proud of yourself and you have to show that resilience when those things don't go as right. And sometimes people and humans struggle to do that themselves and they need help. And Jane and ourselves, we just try our hardest. Sometimes it's just a support. It's just a word. It's just a chat. It's just a reminder of they're, they're good enough. Um, and Jane comes in and adds that professionalism in the sense that she knows techniques, she knows ways to help, she knows kind of methods to, to help these players focus. And it's been so beneficial, um, so beneficial, mostly because it gets them thinking about it more. Beforehand, we brought her in, brought Jane in, and we went, look, just be careful, these players are are very much going to be like, oh, I don't need you, I don't need you, I don't, oh, no, I don't want to talk about my problems and stuff like that. And it was very much like that at the start. And then they start to realise, you know, Jane's not a counsellor. She's coming in and helping you in how to think yeah. and, how to, and how to improve your performance of your thoughts on the pitch because football's such an up and down game. You can have one thing go really well and then instantly, 10 seconds later in that game, something goes bad. And if you can't refocus your thinking or remain confident, then it's going to impact your performance. So, yeah, she, her work's been invaluable for us. And I would, it's difficult because these are... Again, professionals in their in their own trade, and they're not they're not just floating around. You know, you can't just bring one in out of nowhere yeah. and come in. And especially with the money in women's football, you know, we can't necessarily a lot of clubs aren't necessarily in our club as well. Can't necessarily pay people to come in and do this work, so we have to be volunteer and getting someone who spent an awful lot of money and an awful lot of years at university to come in for free is difficult. 
but there needs to be more support from the FA, from local county FAs, from clubs, especially like ourselves who are related to a professional club, to provide that support to players as a professional sports psychologist um, or even upskilling coaches in that, which I don't think enough is currently done. Mm. Yeah, no, that's so interesting. I think you can kind of... In the grassroots game, especially, you can kind of like, ju- like as you say, it like you can just be doing that thing where you're kind of just checking in with people and you're just like, yeah, as, like because it's such a, a big money thing, isn't it? You can't kind of expect someone who's got this kind of degree and spent years at university, yeah. as you say, to kind of bowl in and be like, yep, yeah, this is all for free. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, so I guess there might be some people out there who are interested in that. But yeah, ultimately, as you say, you kind of have to respect that that is their profession. But yeah, I think it can so easily start with just kind of checking in with with your team. And actually on that, um, one of the girls in my team the other day, actually, she, um, she was like, I'm not really having a great day today, actually. I don't know if I'll be at training later. And instantly, like, I would say my team is so good at that. Like everybody yeah. flooded in, like, now, nah, mate, come to training. You just need, like, you just need to ball at your feet. Like, just, you'll be fine. Like, we'll sort you out kind of thing. And she mm-hmm. turned up and she, like, afterwards, she just sent a little team message to be like, thanks, guys. Like, I just needed that. Like, just, yeah, just... Just checking in is so important. Yeah, look, football's a release for players. It's a, an escape from normal life for such, escape from any problems. And that's professional footballers down to children. It's an escape. And people come because they want to play football, enjoy it. They want to get better, they want to prove, they want to progress. But the, the friends you make at football, the stories you make, the memories you make, they'll mean more. You know, in when you finish playing football, you're not going to think back, oh, how good was that session Lou and Josh put on that time? Brilliant, <laughs> wasn't it? You're not going to think back to that. They'll think back, do you know what? When I played for Northampton, I loved it. Everyone was brilliant. We had a great time. We made some fantastic memories along the way. Um, and I, you know, I loved I couldn't wait to go to training every session. And my managers supported me along the way. They did everything for me they could. My friends and my, my teammates, whether we got on or not, I knew they were there for me on and off the pitch. And that's more important because... It's like anything, you need those people. We always, you know, relate it to, to going into to battle. You know, you need to look around at those people in the changing room and know that they will be there for you, that they'll fight for you, that they'll... And that's not just on the pitch, that's off the pitch. If you're having problems, they'll be there for you because if you can see those people in the changing room, you'll, you'll do it back for them. Yeah. Um, and again, sometimes it is literally just, are you okay? You're a bit quiet today, you're all right. Yeah. You know, I mean, we struggle with it sometimes, especially as a male, to speak to ask those questions. Um, but even if someone asks it and you don't want to speak, the thought that someone has asked makes yeah. you feel so much better. Yeah, that's so important. Um, let's talk a little bit about your kind of coaching kind of philosophy, I guess, here is going to be my sort of question. Kind of, you okay. mentioned it briefly sort of beforehand. So let's kind of, kind of go to that. So I, I, you don't really have like something, you don't have the male game to compare to, I guess. But mm-hmm. so when I've spoken to, so when I spoke to Craig in my first episode and then when I spoke to Dan in my second episode, they mentioned how they've kind of both been in the men's team, like been in the men's game coach beforehand and how they had to completely kind of change their coaching philosophy. I guess mm-hmm. you could probably still talk about it a little bit because I guess you've kind of, you've had that sort of generic yeah. coaching session, haven't you? And then like training rather, sorry. And then you've kind of obviously then had to put that into play. And as you say, like we're footballers, but we're also people. So obviously mm-hmm. you can learn all the things you, you need to in a kind of FA run session and stuff like that. But then when you actually put that into practice with actual real life humans, it's completely different. So... What is it, and I guess maybe what were your kind of expectations going into coaching and then how have you then had mm. to change that being in the women's game? Yeah, my expectations were very much of everyone will have 
a fairly good knowledge of football. Now, I don't mean necessarily the rules, but I mean basic terms, basic formations, basic, you know, I'll give an example. If we were to say, you know, we want a, a group to high press, we expect a group to go, I know what to do. Not necessarily I know how to execute it fantastically as an individual, as a team, but I know what to do, you know, roundabout, let's go and do it. That's my expectations. And it's completely, it's not even the truth, nowhere near it. Especially in women's football, over the years, youth coaching in women's football hasn't been at the level it should be. Because of that, they don't often get to coach these things. You know, we're, te- we're coaching a 30, 30, 31-year-old player around a topic and they'll go, that's the first time I've ever been taught that, ever. And it's like, wow, you know. Uh, it's just a bit of naivety, isn't it? You expect everyone to have a good coaching upbringing, everyone to have been taught the same things and that's just not the case it's like you know yourself so you only play for a couple of years if we go in there and just go oh, I assume Abby's played for 15 years like everyone else that'd be wrong of us wouldn't it so it's it's so important to know your players and know their history know what they know know what they think and it took I always think that's crazy why managers get sacked after a couple of months sometimes because it takes six months at least to get to know your players in as much detail as you need now you can adapt during that period and do the best as you can, but yeah, it's, it's crazy. So yeah, I think trying to know the people, get to know who we had, what makes them tick, what they know already, what they want to be like, and then slowly starting to implement what you needed to do, starting off from a very, I guess, small base and not very difficult, which was play with intensity and work hard. Two simple things that you don't necessarily need talent for go and do those two things for us. As we go through, we'll have a look at what we need to improve on, what we want to do better. And eventually, it's our philosophy has merged with what the players need, the opposition we're playing against. Um, because some people can go in there and go, oh, I want to play football this way. This is what I do. Well, your players not necessarily can't do that. Your opposition you're playing against, it doesn't relate to that. You know, So you need to adapt. And we adapted as we went through. And we're now starting to get to a stage where, again, we played a played a team yesterday uh, in a friendly and the opposition manager after comes up and says, you look like a team that's been really well coached. And that's good because all of our players need to know, all of our players look like they know what they're doing as mm. such and they know their roles and responsibilities. And that's huge for us. It's not going to be perfect every week, but as long as they've got an idea of what we expect and what they want to do, then that's good. So we're not over the top philosophers, shall I say. There's not a big sign on the changing room saying this is how we want to play. Again, we have non-negotiables, which I'm sure most clubs do, but not all of them are around... Well, I wouldn't say any of them. Um, we've got ones around commitment, we've got ones around respect, and we've got one um, around kind of working hard and, and being a family, and kind of only really working hard relates necessarily to the actual game. Everything else is about how we go in there together. I'm very much an advocate of show the people where you want to go and how you're going to get there and they'll go along the way with you. Don't overcoach them. Don't just go in there and go, this is all about coaching, it's all about the tactics, this is what we need to do. They'll lose interest. They'll lose interest and it's like anything, you know, if we relate back to your teachers at school, your, your teacher you liked, you'd do anything for them. Teacher you didn't like, I'll do it on my own terms, thank you very much. Yeah. It's the same in coaching. So we have a philosophy on how we want to play most of it relates around intensity I grew up watching Arsenal an Arsenal fan my whole childhood near enough was Arsene Wenger at Arsenal 
So while I didn't play in the men's game, I, I grew to love how Arsenal fans would say he's playing the right way. Mm. Um, and that's keeping possession. But for me, it's a, it's, a, it's a term that Arsenal Wenger used to say a lot and we now say, which is possession with progression. So keeping possession, but making sure we can progress that ball and doing it with intensity. And, and that's how we like to play. Yeah, that's really interesting to hear. I like that as well. I think as well is that how you mentioned, um, you kind of go in there and think, oh yeah, high press, I know exactly what I mean. I think a big thing about the women's game is that, so I'm the perfect example of this. So I, I, I love football and kind of, I grew up kind of, well, I say I grew up, I was very much an armchair fan. I didn't really get interested in football properly until I was kind of in my teens. And that's because nobody in my family was interested in football. Like my, I've got a brother, he didn't play football. Like my dad's not remotely interested in football. Um, my mum wasn't interested in football either. So yeah, it was kind of all on my own terms really there. And I kind of turned up not even knowing if I could even kick a ball. Like, I didn't even know if I could actually kick a ball, let alone do anything else yeah. that you need on a football pitch. So, but I think that's a big kind of draw of women's football is that actually you can be someone like me who doesn't, who's never played football and kind Definitely. of, you can turn up and actually you might, you might be all right. You might do okay. I mean, I'm still on the team, so it's clearly working somehow. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's kind of a big thing. But yeah, like you say, like, so if, if you'd have said that to me in the first session, like, right, so we're going to do a high pressing session today, I would have gone, what? Yes, I have exactly. no idea what you mean. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not. Yeah, like I'm not stupid. Like I could probably figure it out. But yeah. generally speaking, like yeah, like so. I think my coaches as well. Kind of, they they both kind of played kind of most of their life. And the girl, like, like there was only four of us when we turned up, and they all the girls had already played football, so they kind of knew what they were doing. So yeah, it's a lot of asking. But why are we doing that? But what do you mean by that? And yeah, that's something. That's, that's what we say is question everything. Everything we do, question it because we're not going to be offended. We'd rather explain it, and you understand. Yeah, that's so true. I think um, I think my coach probably is probably like mad at the amount of questions that I ask or how many questions people <laughs> ask. But actually, do you know what? It improves our game. And like when we try new things out and then they work, he must be like so satisfied by it. And yeah. that's because we have asked those questions kind of thing there. Yeah, that's yeah, super, super interesting to hear that. I like that. And yeah, like I said, you don't really have like a kind of a men's kind of coaching to compare it to with kind of compared to other people I've talked about. Mm. So yeah, it's interesting that you've kind of brought that kind of philosophy well you don't want to use the word philosophy but brought that philosophy with you (laughs) you're like no this is too that's too professional for me (laughs) yeah it is a little bit but it's also just too again you need to be able to adapt it's too Mm. it's too static and stationary um deal with the people deal with your opponents and deal with what you're good at and then play to those strengths yeah, no, that's spot on, I guess, as well. If you kind of do have this sort of fixed philosophy as well, just because it works with one set of players doesn't mean if you do end up going somewhere else, it's going to work with, with another set. So, yeah, you mm-hmm. do, like you say, you have to be adaptable. I like that. Hmm, interesting. Um, let's kind of talk... OK, let's go for... We'll go for challenges first. What do you think... Well, I guess we're in the middle of a pandemic. That's a challenge <laughs> in itself, isn't it? But what do you feel like yeah. the most kind of challenging thing that you've had to deal with at the club has been? Yeah, good question. I mean, the, the pandemic's been awful, to be honest. But again, so rewarding through different parts of that. Challenging is managing everything. Said so we, we don't like many people out there in grassroots. We don't get paid for what we do, and I work a a long full time job, which is fifty miles away from Northampton. So that's really challenging from a very selfish and individual point of view is managing my time mm. alongside managing relationships with family members, etc. 
that's difficult and I'm sure the players have those problems as well so managing that and trying to do all that you want to do I wish this was my full-time job sometimes it feels like it's my full-time job <laughs> it might have work we put into it so I guess managing the time um, and all that we want to do and expectations as well an expectation of what we can expect from ourselves how much we can expect from ourselves and also the players that's been challenging to be honest with you opponents has been challenging I personally believe that again you don't you don't get promotion unless you you earn it and we're not saying that we should just be put forward to better divisions because we say we want to but there's such a disparity in who we play in our division for instance our last game before lockdown ended 10-0 it's brilliant we look brilliant but on the whole it's no good for, for us it's no good for the team we're playing and our division specifically, half of the division is really competitive, really good. Playing against teams that want to get promoted, want to push on. Mm. Unfortunately, only one get promoted in the past two years. That's been zero. And then the bottom half are very much no real ambition to progress here because they enjoy football and that's absolutely fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but there's a real clash then in that division yeah. in terms of in terms of quality and also how much work either, either club's putting into to it. So... Oppositions has been a struggle, to be honest with you, to get the right type of challenges, but also make sure that you're playing enough because there's not a great deal of clubs around as much as there is men's clubs. That's been challenging. Um, and probably, I'd probably say the final thing is, is around recruitment as well of players. In a weird kind of way, we've brought in great players since we've come in and absolutely delighted with that, but it's so difficult. Mm. it's ridiculously difficult yeah. men's football I've never been in it but there's such a massive pool of players in men's football yeah. you can you know when women's football especially in Northamptonshire where we are there's not many clubs around in terms of clubs playing at our level yeah. um, and if they are there may be a couple of divisions above us so kind of finding players to recruit is very difficult there's not many around mm. um, but also it's such again there's a disparity in round our pay our players still pay to play there's clubs around the corner that pay their players. You know, there's other clubs that don't ask their players to play, uh, players to pay, shall I say. Mm. So recruitment's been very difficult. Um, we've done very well in the circumstances, but I'm sure other clubs have you know, the exact same problems. The amount of teams that are offering and asking for help with recruitment is crazy. You know, you never really see it in the men's team. They don't put out tweets in a men's game going, we're looking for players, you know, yeah. you know. They'll know who they want to they want to get. When in women's teams, very much look if you're interested, come and 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 offer and ask out sort of thing. So recruitment is difficult, and I'm hopeful other managers also feel my my, my sentiment mm. with that. Yeah, absolutely. Just kind of touching on that kind of point that you made um, about kind of the disparity in your league. Do you think that is something like as we kind of sort of briefly talked about earlier where you where you've got that pathway kind of growing through do you think that is something that's going to kind of improve and change kind of as we see women's football grow over the next few years where you kind of Mm. so in my current kind of division we're quite fortunate that actually bar maybe the bottom two which is kind of expected obviously where you have that kind of promotion relegation is actually a very competitive league whereas if I look to my team beforehand probably similarly with you the kind of disparity between the top kind of two teams yeah. and then so I was one of the bottom teams at that point okay um the disparity between them was absolutely ridiculous and so the thing is as well is that so 
the kind of distance between the teams as well was well this is a problem that you've mentioned as well was so so like large so a couple of our games i think i think they were the top teams as well were like an hour away worth of traveling so one one of the games i think we got smashed like 12 nil or something so like that 90 minutes on the pitch was already like tough enough to take and then the fact that you've then got an hour's journey kind of all the way home you're like <laughs> i'd just rather forget this sunday i'm pretty sure it was raining as well so just the whole thing do you think there will be kind of in the next kind of few, I don't know, five, ten years, we'll see the kind of um, that disparity kind of like kind of reduce, I guess. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Number one, the FA has to do something about that because the teams below us that should be competing in our division as well. Hmm. Um, so there, there needs to be a reform, especially with two years of our football as such. Yeah, and also it's one up one down in women's football especially our tiers is ridiculous yeah. um, so the FA need to do their part and hopefully that will happen um, but hopefully again it will because look, I think let's take Nottinghamshire for an example we've got a couple of Nottinghamshire based clubs in our, our division mm. if you're a good player in Nottinghamshire realistically you're off to play for your likes of, of Mansfield Notts Forest Notts County yeah. um, I don't think there's enough high quality players in these counties to fill up eight to ten teams yeah so naturally those teams that can't compete against the big names aren't going to have the better players but the more youth football sides there are and already it's it's rocketing the amount of young girl clubs there are yeah the more of those there are the more girls we get into football in 10 years five years maybe the amount of girls that are moving into adults football is going to be bigger there's going to be more so there's more pool of players to get mm-hmm. the quality is obviously going to be better because they're playing for longer they've had better coaching so I'm, I'm really hopeful that it's going to get better and I think it will there's always going to be situations where there's going to be as you said a couple of good teams in a division a couple of not so good teams yeah. when top play bottom it could end 5-0 you know that it's going to happen in football it's football but in women's football it happens too much yeah. far too much um, there shouldn't be such a gap between divisions either for me so I'm hopeful as we go through, again, more players that are getting into football, that will get smaller and that's going to benefit absolutely everybody, not just the better teams, that's going to benefit everybody and that's what we want. Mm, Absolutely. Also, on that kind of side of recruitment as well, hopefully there's a few people listening to this and are thinking, oh yeah, I'm going to go and join Northampton Town. (laughs) Fingers crossed. Yeah, any any venture we can use, any venture we can use, we'll do that, so uh, do for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so on the kind of flip side of that, what's kind of been some standout moments, some like real positive things that have happened for you? I guess it's a little bit challenging to think about that, seeing mm-hmm. as we've basically played no football. But yeah, no, um, I'll, I'll fly through a couple that've been good. We touched on earlier around bringing through youth players, players we've coached as youngsters. That's been up there. Um, it sounds so stupid, but seeing people make friendship groups and going out for dinner with each other when they didn't know each other a couple of weeks ago mm. that's fantastic for us seeing I think our training sessions are very enjoyable very very enjoyable very competitive and for us everyone looks forward to them the attendance I think we've done our attendance the other day and this is during lockdown as well our overall attendance and training was like 91% wow. players and, and that's fantastic and that, that says the commitment of players so we're almost taking away little things like that Yeah, no. <laughs> we've just gone through a period of since you well, yesterday was the second game since January two thousand and twenty, where we'd conceded more than one goal. Um, so little things, and again, I appreciate lockdowns, <laughs> a couple of lockdowns during that period. But little things like that, we've again 
looking at little things on the pitch of how we've improved to getting tactical insight players and how much more there so we haven't really had an opportunity to go oh we finished first second won a cup but all these other little things there's been so many little things that have built up and it's been so successful mm. considering there's been no league yeah absolutely I think at this point it's kind of small victories kind of become big ones don't they and actually mm-hmm. I think this is something that I've said every single episode especially in women's football and like kind of grassroots football as well like there's so much more than that kind of 90 minutes on the pitch on a Sunday it's just yep. how kind of inclusive it is and kind of hopefully I mean accessible it is in some some ways obviously we want some more growth in terms of that as well mm-hmm. but yeah the kind of social side of it as well like you say kind of seeing like people that have, they've just met and then kind of they're out for dinner and out for drinks yep. with each other yeah it's just it's, it's massive and I think that's such a big kind of well just grassroots football in general but especially the women's game it's such a kind of a big attribute of it so yeah as I said small victories right now they become the big ones absolutely cool okay I'm gonna quick fire some questions at you about the squad at this point we're gonna go for quick fire questions okay who's always late (laughs) oh that's a that's a I don't know what I'm gonna go with a really really easy option here and go Leah Cadone but she's only ever late because she finishes work late but she's always (laughs) late technically so yeah, there we go. I mean, then you're not kind of ratting her out too much there. So, oh, exactly. <laughs> um, Who's turning up at the wrong venue or, or forgetting the kit? Oh, do you know what? I'd like to think we've got any player like that has, has almost left, <laughs> left the club. So who's turning up at the wrong venue? Do you know what? She has only just left the club, so I'll go with Amy Smith. <laughs> Probably enough. she would have done that quite regularly. Um, <laughs> that's not the reason she has left, don't worry. But, um, <laughs> Uh, who is scoring your winning goal? Oh, that's a great question. It's a very good question. Do you know, we've got so many goal scorers in the team. Mm. Um, but a goal scorer at big moments is, is probably Leah Cadone as well. Nice, love that. Um, equally, who's missing it? <laughs> now we could be here for a long time. <laughs> could be here for a long time. Um, better. I'll go for I'll go for Abby Rabal. Um I think she's quite admitting that finishing is not one of her strongest points. <laughs> Honestly, preaching to the choir there as well. That is absolutely <laughs> me. Like, I'm still waiting for the debut goal from myself. I've had two opportunities in the last two weekends. I'm just kind of, like, putting it into existence, hopefully, that it will come. I've got six games left to do it. No pressure. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. It will come. <laughs> um, who's most competitive? Uh, Bianca Lutman. Without a shadow of a doubt. There was barely any hesitation for that answer. No. (laughs) Yeah, no, very, very competitive. Very competitive. Maybe too competitive sometimes, but very competitive. That's hilarious. Who is the biggest joker or the kind of team prankster? Um, There's a couple, but I probably have to go for Cheska Partridge. Um, Yeah. Funnier. Not as funny as you think she is, but still... (laughs) Still a very valuable member of the team in terms of that social element of it. Very nice, valuable. That. And also the social secretary, so technically a good person to be that. <laughs> I definitely would probably be the one that everybody thinks that I'm funnier that, than I am. Definitely, that's me, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then last one, who is the kind of team hype woman who's getting everyone going? Oh, that's another good question. Uh, it's got to be, again, to, not to name the same people, but... Probably have to go for Abby Rabal just purely because she's always in charge of the music most of the time. Mm. So, so she's missing that, that winning helps. goal, but she's keeping the team hyped. I love that. Uh, exactly. That sums <laughs> up Abby Rabal fantastically. As well, so. <laughs> I love that. Cool. 
Um, okay, cool. You uh, you have survived the quickfire questions, and you didn't veto any of them either. I think you might be the first no. person that didn't veto any of the questions. <laughs> Nobody ever wants to answer the one about who's missing the goal. It's a bit awkward otherwise, isn't it? Just baiting your oh, teammates don't worry, out. I tell her all the time. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Cool. Is there anything else you want to add? No, just thank you for your time. It's been lovely. It's been it's good to speak and good to. Again, we've not had many, as he said, big victories. So it's good to talk about those little victories the club have had, and the players have been fantastic. And you know, it's good that people get to hear about how good they've been. Yeah, absolutely. Just a little bit of kind of reflection for you, really, there, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you did mention player recruitment, though. So where can people mm-hmm. find you if they want to get involved? Yeah, we're on we're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, NTFC Women. Um, drop DMs on there. That's definitely something they can do. I'm on I'm on Twitter as well, which I'm sure we can put something out of when the the podcast comes out. Yeah, um, yeah, look, we're always available. We've we've got a development team as well. We've got youth age groups. So if you know you're not 16 and above, or you are, and you don't think quite ready for a first team, is the development team there as well? So um, we are still very much interested in 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 any players. Amazing. So lots and lots of opportunities at Northampton. Exactly Bayville. that. Yes. Brilliant. Thank you so much for joining me today, though. It's been a real pleasure to chat to you. No problem. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for your time. You're most welcome. And thank you to you, the listener, for tuning in to episode six of the latest series in the Selk podcast production. Expect to hear many more interviews from those involved in the women's grassroots game, as well as news, history and everything else in between. And remember, it's okay not to be okay. So if you ever want to reach out, I'm always happy to chat football or anything else for that matter. Feel free to get in touch with me on social media. Stay safe out there, wear a mask, wash your hands, follow the guidelines and catch you all soon for episode seven. I've been your host, Abby, and you've been listening to Match Fix. This week's Selk podcast was brought to you by Down to Play, the simple app for next game availability.